Hey everybody, welcome back. It's Food News and Choose Radio. Anytime mm-hmm. Amazing Bread comes in the studio during the food show, it's it's a good day. Andy the Baker. Yeah. And Andy all I know you is Andy the Baker yeah. from Bluegrass Bakery. That works. Is in with us. <laughs> Andy the Baker, I love that. Do you have a title, Andy the Baker? They sometimes refer to me as the Night Baker, but I don't like the classification. Yeah. So I just say Andy the Baker. Andy Bakers the Baker. have to keep odd hours. The right? Baking Company's Baker. Yeah. Bread, bread Baker. You got to keep odd hours, right? Odd hours, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. What, seven, what? 7 p.m. till 7 a.m. is the general starting and finishing time for me. You got to be. You want to be out yeah. there before the customers come in, right? Uh, well, actually, sometimes they they buoy me if I can hear some good things. But yeah, I rarely hear what the customers say. Uh, but I'm usually out of there by the How time. How many of you up. work like that shift? Uh, only me. Bakers? I only okay. work that night shift. The owners come in around three or four in the morning mm-hmm. and, and start their day. So. It's nice, isn't it? It's yeah. quiet. <clears throat> it is. Oh yeah, yes, yes. You have to have a, be a special you, kind of person, probably. Uh, mm-hmm. You must I listen love to a lot bread. of podcasts. You yeah, lo- must love bread. Oh yes, I do, I do love bread. Oh, I can't wait to it hear was, how it you was got into it. Kind of an accident, uh, me uh, learning to love it, but yeah. Well, that's what I want to hear. Is like, I've got a, I mean, easy confession. This is by far my my favorite breads and bakery in town. Mm-hmm. I stop in with my kids on the way to school. Um, you know, I pick up loaves for the weekend, and whenever there's any kind of passion project or some kind of special bread need at the restaurants, this is you know, this yeah, is where I, I go. Well, thank you very much. You guys do um, the best. I mean, you guys do like the best sourdough in town. Best I, sourdough. I, I've I've had formal training, but I can't even hold I like a match to these guys. I don't I don't know. It's like a kind of wizardry and magic to me what you guys do, uh, just from yeah. you know just the the taste of your bread, the ferments, you know, with the bega pulleys, whatever you guys are doing to get the artisanal crust and the style. This is true artisan bread. This yeah. is this is old world style, and and I, I want to hear how you learn this craft because I want to I want to learn it. I want to know too what should i watch for like if i go into a regular grocery store and i buy sourdough bread what makes yours so special because i agree it's very good but i don't know what makes it so special uh i think the biggest thing with a uh, a bakery like ours and what makes the bread so tasty is the fact that we nurture and care for our different types of sourdough starters uh a lot of the <laughs> extra flavor you can get in a bread that comes from our bakery comes from the fact that we uh initialize a lot of pre-ferments for our dough which develop flavor and um, keeping capabilities for the bread for the long term mm-hmm. and uh, just by utilizing these different steps and utilizing the whole 24-hour bake period that, that a day gives you you can coax that those kind of flavors out of the bread one of the biggest things is understanding the uh, role of hydration and temperature uh, on what can make science a, on, right? what, on what can a little bit of alchemy goes into this <laughs> yes but understanding how hydration and um, temperature can affect the flavor of a dough. Our best bread, by far, in my opinion, is the Pan Olivan, which is a French sourdough. And it utilizes a pate fermenté, which is a cold, salted dough that's an old dough, basically, that we take a piece of or a certain amount from the day before, keep it in the refrigerator at about 45 to 50 degrees at 65% hydration. And that allows more oxygen to incorporate the dough, the drier the dough is, um, which increases the uh, um, ability of the dough to promote lactic acid bacteria enzymes, which, which allow the bread to have this kind of a milky lactic acid sour taste as opposed to an acidic taste. Okay. Oh, wow. That's a good distinction. I've Some, never... so, something, as opposed, something like a buttermilk or a mm-hmm. yogurt kind of a flavor you want to impart that in the bread as opposed to having a real sour because some, some people really like a sour taste at the end and that's fine too but that's not really what we're going for yeah so sourdough in that way is a little bit of a misnomer 
it's, it's a type of leavener, but it doesn't necessarily in, in, uh, involve in making the bread sour. kind of does the same thing as terroir would do, you know, as in, you know, it, grapes from a certain region are going to sure. have certain qualities. I guess all these ferments exactly. and different right. acids are going to have different qualities right. to add to the bread. And we have uh, liquid starters that, pr- that provide a different kind of acidity to our French doughs and our baguette pouliches. Uh, pouliches and bigas are all pre-ferments that do different things to the dough. A pouliche will allow extensibility mm-hmm. in a baguette dough, and a biga is a stiffer pre-ferment, which will allow the ciabatta, which is a loose dough, to maintain more structure. No wonder you're so popular. Yeah. Oh, wow. you know, for the listeners at home, and this is where I kind of get caught up too, we talk about these starters and these things that you have to feed in your fridge and it, it's mystifying it feels like you're going to take mm-hmm. on a new pet it or is a, pet. a baby you know and i tried to, to do it alive forever right like everybody during during covid i went through my, my sourdough period and it's like it's like picasso with his blue period and you try it and you realize it's not easy like you said it takes this yeah. it's a lot what, of time what do you do feel like yeah. you make dough and then you let it sit overnight in some sense right but the feeding process how do you keep that alive yeah, how and how much that? of that one do you use in your next dough it's it seems baffling to me well there is a uh, a definite kind of structure and a general uh, percentages that people go by yeah. although every bakery in every uh, region is different but let me let me say that all the practice and stuff that you guys have done at home i've done plenty of that at the right. bakery and i've produced plenty of uh, compost <laughs> pile bread okay so so it comes from learning uh but basically what you want to do is you always want to err on the side of a lower amount of uh, of a starter or pre-ferment so if i'm starting out and wanting to make a, a sourdough starter, uh, you kind of want to look in any kind of, of, of these books. You basically take water and flour, a good whole grain flour, and you build that up over the course of maybe 10 days by every 24 hours um, mixing it, letting it sit. And then over about two or three days in, you should see, see some movement in it. But what you want to do is every 24 hours, I would take about 10% of that so if you have 100 grams of that starter there take 10 grams out and then feed it again with the same kind of ratio as you did before and over time the flour you're using will impart the natural yeast into whatever starter you're wanting to use if you're using a whole grain kind of flour it'll it'll uh, mature much faster i can start a a hundred percent rye sourdough starter and get it probably nice and bubbly in about seven days Gotcha. So, so once you so you take ten percent of that, ten to fifteen keep it in the fridge and feed it for the next batch, and then use ninety percent in the. I would not baking. keep it. In, I would not keep it in the fridge. I would only keep it in the fridge if you're going to be not feeding it, maybe for a couple of days, up to a week. But, but other than that, you want to keep your sourdough starter out, and and active okay but you if you want to talk if, to it you want to like sing to it? i mean do you no, have to no. i feel you like you just have to keep it on a regular feeding schedule and however that is with your temperature like let's say at the bakery uh it's, it gets it maintains a pretty high temperature like 75 to 80 degrees in there so you're going to want to probably feed your starter every eight hours uh, see i mean you lost me that's so hard i mean all this is baffling to me i don't yeah, know how you guys keep up with yeah, it yeah. no i mean you didn't lose me and so you explained it well it's just the amount of work that goes into keeping right. these things alive especially when you look at that some starters have been alive for centuries in the old yeah. world right and that's, now, a, that's a little bit of a misnomer too i'm sorry man okay well i just want to do you get a phd in breadology how no, did you no, get no, into no, this no. no it's just over time and then learning getting, but how getting you, a lot of books how did you get into it teaching myself uh, well, I first started at, at Great Harvest when Great Harvest was yeah. here. Yeah, I remember uh, Ron that. and Paula King were the owners there, and they actually brought the first stone mill to Lexington, even though Great Bagel has a really nice stone mill over there now. 
So I was working with Ron and Paula with their uh, stuff, and I was just basically a hands-on guy, and I was just looking to fill time. Um, but over the course of me learning what they had going on there and realizing the general pace of the, of the bakery uh, in general, uh, it, it kind of took to me. I was also waiting tables at the mansion at the time, and uh, when I stopped doing that, um, I went and got a job with Jim Betts over at Bluegrass Baking right. Company, and I started driving for him. So I was the slicer and driver for the first year. <laughs> and, then, and then the night position opened up, and I wanted a little bit more money. So I was kind of seeing how the back end of it when yeah. I got there in the morning worked, and I felt like I could do it. And I didn't have any, didn't have any kids. It would keep me you know, yeah. awake. So uh, working during the night would be okay. So when you're doing <laughs> – I got like super into sourdough like all of America did for a little while. And, and like you said, it, it really is a lot of work. You know, you can, you gotta, there's a lot of, you throw a lot of dough away in the beginning. And a starter, yes. And a start, you throw a lot of stuff away, yeah. and then it, it gets, so it is tough. I'd rather you do it, because you do it Absolutely. better than I ever could. But when you're doing things like kneading, yeah. are you doing that by hand? Are you, are you using machines? Are you doing a lot of it by hand? Because that, to me, kneading dough, kneading dough in itself is an art. And I've never been able to do it right. <clears throat> it's just practice. It's just practice. But we, we depend on the machines to, to, to do a lot of it. What we do at the bakery and a lot of artisan bakeries do is they don't necessarily mix their doughs to full completion. Mm -hmm. What they'll do is they'll kind of do an intermediate mix to where you can fold it at like a 30 to an hour intervals afterwards, which builds the strength. Mm -hmm. If you overmix a dough, you can you have a tendency to oxidize it, which reduces the color. And you okay. also uh, have a chance of... There's a term in baking called bucking, where you overmix a dough, and the dough will kind of reach its point to where it won't be elastic anymore. So there's a lot of things you want to watch out for when you mix a dough. There's a lot of things so, that can go so, wrong. So we just have a tendency to undermix it and make up for it on the other end by folding it an extra time. So we have and a the folds are completely different, and that's a sourdough. That's there's nothing. different types of folds. There's stretching yeah. where you pull it out over, and you're really stressing the dough. There's other times where it's later in the fermentation process, and you want to like fold it under. And, and these are all for sourdough done. kind of bread. No, any kind of bread. Oh, any kind I of used bread. To, okay. I do it with the baguette yeasted bread. Okay, yeah, like the baguette you roll out and fold in, and yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. all, there's a process to how these things shape and rise. It's, yes. it's yeah. so amazing. It's, are there ancient recipes that you have gone by, or like been not in really the company ancient recipes, or but it brings me back to what we we're talking about about. Um, Oh. Uh, the starters and how long? Right, talking about a, a starter that's, that had been around for hundreds yeah. of years. Well, that is, is, is kind of a good marketing tool, but in all actuality, your starter is only as good and as fresh as what you just fed it. It's like feeding yourself some kind of food. You only feel as good as what you last ate. But that starter, where as it might be the same kind of thing that, w that existed 100 years ago, you're not feeding it the same food. So it's not the same starter. Uh -huh. Even though you've kept consistently feeding <coughs> it, mm -hmm. that's, that, 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 that's fine, but it's okay, okay so to it put transforms. it. it okay. I've actually <laughs> created maybe eight or nine different starters in the last three years just because I got tired of one, started it, you know, started a new one. Because sometimes starters might pick up an extra thing you don't want in it, and you're not really sure why. So oh, really? Speaking so, of yeah. starters. So the idea about a 100-year-old starter, no. It's, it's, it's quaint. And Jim uses that. Oh yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim sure. uses that. As Sounds a, good, doesn't right, it? Right, but it's not necessary. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, some guys will like travel to Europe and grab one, and then yes. you know, babysit at home and start Absolutely. with that. It's romantic, but it changes right. over time. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. So tell me what we should start with at home. You know, should we use fresh yeast, dry yeast? Should we just put some fruit out in a bowl of water and catch right. air, yeast air? What do you? I mean, there's all kinds of ways of doing it. The first time I ever did a sourdough starter, I used uh, Nancy Silverton's breads from La Brea Bakery. 
yeah. she uses organic grapes as a sugar sweetener starter oh, to try okay. to kickstart her her thing. And that's that's nice, and you can do all kinds of things like that, but it is not necessary because what you're going to be feeding it probably more often than not is water out of your tap and flour from the grocery store or from the good foods or whatever. So and that affects the flavor more than how you start it. Absolutely. Okay. So if you if you start out real fancy and do this stuff, then you better continue that. Yeah, okay. I would just start out with what you're going to be using don't spoil we, we your use, starter we use right? regular <laughs> tap water at the bakery that we let sit out to kind of de- dechlorinize the best we can but regular tap water and uh store-bought whole grain flour and so that's all you really need to start with to make it at home and any basic um look online to uh, to try a sourdough starter they're all pretty similar they might have different things they might look different to a, a, a novice baker but they're all pretty similar okay there's only you know one way to skin this cat pretty yeah. much, and it's yeah. just a consistent <clears throat> feeding mm-hmm. uh, using so, a certain amount of percentage. Yeah. So you brought something delicious today, and I'm glad that we stopped eating on it before we got on air because it was so good that we would be going. Yeah. Mm. What, so tell what us ki- about it. This is a 100% iron corn sourdough. That's E-I-N. E-I-N-K-O-R-N. Iron corn. It's, it's the Nature's Original Wheat. Okay. It has uh, what differentiates iron corn from uh, the other types of wheat. It has, it's the only one that has only two chromosomes. It's never been hybridized. Uh, part of the reason for that is because it's not very high yielding. It's the lowest yielding of all uh, of all grains. And um, is it corn? I mean, it's actual. No, corn? no, no. Corn. The corn is just German for like grain oh. kernel. When you hear uh, the term Volkornbrot for for bread, it's a whole kernel gotcha. bread. Whole. It reminds me of rye a little. Like it has yeah, a little some characteristics rye of taste. rye, but it's not as strong. You treat it a little bit like rye in that you don't overmix it, mm-hmm. and you let uh, time and a couple folds do do your fermenting. So you know this is good for celiac, right? Because there's, there's the gluten. That no, no, this has plenty of gluten. Okay. I'd, I'd, if you're celiac, no, I would not recommend okay. this. Right. No. But if you're kind of sensitive, to yes, some exactly. Of those. For, for wheat sensitivity, because well, how does of, that work? Well, because of the ratio. Uh, one of the misnomers about einkorn and gluten is that people think that einkorn has less gluten than modern wheats, but it actually has as much, if not more, gluten in wow. it than modern wheat. It's just the ratio of the type of gluten. Gluten is made up of, and I might be mispronouncing these, giadin and glutenin, two types of, right. of, mm-hmm. of, of things. Einkorn uh, is kind of backwards from modern wheat in that it's, it's a little high on one and a little low on the other as opposed to modern wheat. Modern wheat has more glutenin properties than giardin properties, which allow the extensibility of modern wheat. You can stretch it, and it has the big bubbles that capture all the air. Whereas einkorn doesn't have that. It has more of the giardin oh, as opposed to the glutenin. And, has, and so that means it has less starchiness, which allows a person with wheat sensitivity issues to digest So give you bit kind of a denser bread, a little bit denser, a little more chewy. Uh, it's a little bit denser. In the hands of, I've seen some people online that can really do wonders with this, and I'm not there yet. But, but yeah, no, it doesn't stretch. No, you have to kind of coax it out to where the most stretch comes when it finally hits the oven. So there are a lot of theories about gluten and why some people Mm -hmm. have insensitivities to it. And, you know, science is still kind of looking at it. But one of the theories is that, because you mentioned this is a non-hybridized. Right. uh, A lot of people think, we've talked about this, that if you go to Europe where the standards are different Mm -hmm. and things haven't been hybrid, you know, there's no hybrids, there's no genetic modifications, people who can't eat gluten in America can eat it over there. Because I have tried to stay gluten-free. I'm not very good at it. Gotcha. I think I have a sensitivity. Yes. And and the other thing to add to that is I have heard that sourdough, if you're if you have a sensitivity, yes. that sourdough 
can be better for the you. extra fermentation helps break it down oh okay. what 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 all this what all the fermentation and all the things that a bread baker is trying to do is trying to bring the and, and coaxing all the grains to where it is maximally to where it's digestible maximum for, for your body we don't want to give you grains that aren't soaked or prepared properly to where your, your body can't digest them properly so the whole fermentation process of overnight fermentation and that is the difference in what that, we buy in the grocery store happen, right. and where we buy from you and another reason the grocery store in general is it's, it's all bagged they're all in plastic bags in general that kind of ruins the crust of a bread mm-hmm. uh so i like to maybe only have use the plastic in, uh, in rare occasions where you might have to freeze it or okay. put it in the fridge or whatever of course that means you might want to go through your bread a lot quicker because it, it will it will stale i use paper bags and stuff like that i can't imagine this bread stays around very long well that's another thing too if you make yeah. good bread, <laughs> you make good bread. I, I have gone in on a saturday uh, late too late yes. to, and the shelves yeah. are it empty happens. It happens. and y'all are gaining in popularity yes and, uh, progress. yes there is like what's more I think there's no comparison when I eat bread like this versus a store-bought bread. Just in the, the how your body feels is the whole glycemic crash that comes from all yes. this sugar and you know processed white bread from the store. You know, uh, you know, because I am kind of sensitive to that too. Whenever I take on a big meal, because right. I eat kind of small meals throughout the day. Yes. Whenever I sit down to a big meal of bread and pasta, I'm really drained. It just really wipes me out glycemically. That doesn't happen with your stuff. Even the pastries. Um, I think it's just better quality and sure. you know yes. all natural. Now, who does make the pastry doughs and brioche and stuff like that? Because that that'd be a whole different animal. Is that that you is also? no no laminated doughs are a whole different animal. I've experimented a little bit with that, but that's mainly Jim, and yeah. we have another uh, girl Dakota who tag teams with him. So yeah, that's another thing. Uh, uh, laminating those doughs and incorporating the butter into the croissant. Um, it's, That's a, a different ballgame. One thing is a completely different ballgame. The hardest thing with that in a hot bakery is getting the butter to proper temperature along with the uh, uh, doughs. Like that. You don't want to overwork it. You want to make it just right. So pounding it out and getting it to the right consistency is, uh, is half, mm-hmm. half the game. There. One of the things I'm most amazed by is how you brought two breads in, both made with mm-hmm. icorn flour. And they icorn. taste different. Yeah, and they taste the, – the recipe is pretty much the same. The dough is the same. They're just different shapes. Yes. And they taste different. Mm-hmm. Yes. Why? This the, well, the yeah. one one and utilized one is this absolutely, ma'am. Well, one utilized the um, the hearth oven, which has a much more radiant heat from the top and the bottom, oh. and, and it has steam injection. Okay, injection. So what that does is it caramelizes the crust, and the majority of the hearth bread's flavor, about seventy percent, some people say, comes from the crust. So if you mm. don't give so give a hearth loaf a full bake, then you've just, in my opinion, wasted twenty four hours. You know, or whatever. How popular However, is this bread? Is it popular? I know I do not do this for the bakery. It's it's a, such an expensive grain. I just mm-hmm. do it for special order. At, do you really at the huh? market? All right. Wow. So and a I, lot of people know about it though. There's about ten people that will order it and and, and buy it on a regular basis. But whatever you get so, at bluegrass, you can't go wrong. I mean, I think so we, no, yeah, we have. Oh wrong. yeah, I love you this hour. And that's how yeah. that's how it actually started. I started to um, sell some of the whole grain stuff at the bakery. But we have such a huge, extensive line of stuff there. It was hard to fit it in. Yeah. So when the when the op- market opportunity opened up, uh, Jessica Morris says she wanted some. Uh, said she wanted a baker out there. Uh, we used it as an opportunity to, for me to kind of spread my wings and practice a little more with the whole grains. And which and, market is this? Where can people find it? Oh, uh, the uh, Bluegrass Baking Company has a market every Wednesday mm-hmm. from eight till twelve, 
at Apostles Anglican Church across from um, Christ the King. Oh, okay, yeah. On Colony, right mm-hmm. there in Chevy Chase. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. Yes, each Saturday. No, each Wednesday. Each Wednesday, I'm sorry. Yes, each Wednesday. Yeah. <coughs> Do you guys ever bring any of those bacon cheddar croissants down there? No, but I have a bacon cheddar scallion scone. Scone. That, yeah. that is, uh, I have one of those. It blew my mind. Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah, everything, I, everything I use out there is made with fresh milk flour. I have a couple of mills. I only sift a portion of the flour. How many uh, mills so are in town? So How many mills around here? Oh, well, there's a, a great, awesome mill from New American Stone Mill at Great Bagel. Uh, I've seen that in operation, okay. and they make great. But it's, it's a huge mill that can do a lot of flour. I have two tabletop Como mills. That are ceramic I was stones. How big a mill is? Exactly. I mean, I think of a giant thing. It doesn't thing. need very much. I mill all my stuff with, with that. Some of the harder grains, like a, a Corasan wheat, I might have to mill twice to get it to the consistency I want. But. I have the uh, KitchenAid attachment. For yeah, the and mixer. that works too. And it, it does oh, okay. Really? Yeah, now, you can pour it to the top. And corn mill is, it twice. Though. corn is so soft and small, yeah. a KitchenAid mixer would get it to the right consistency. That would handle it? Absolutely. It is I, such, I could actually do it in a mortar and pestle. So, like that. Great <laughs> Bagel, their mill is right there in their shop. Yes, absolutely. Ah, I, yeah. I was thinking gigantic. Like, well, it is. Yeah. It is gigantic. They have a whole room for it. It's really nice. I picture mules pulling it. I know that's what yeah, I do too. Yeah, you know, like that's you the got the kind of mill I want. <laughs> right. That's the kind of picture. The the horses though would be to a go lot. with my hundred year old starter. Exactly. Yeah, mill. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we only got we only got about a minute and a half left. But for the home baker, for yes, people sir. who who really do not, you know, they just want to bake for fun because they enjoy it. Sure. What what are the missteps? Where do they? What's the most common place you think they go wrong? Hmm. Impatience, probably. Impatience, yeah. That's a, that's <laughs> probably a, a very good. Maybe it's really just trial or error. I don't. I feel like my it. doughs are never wet enough. That I I'm not good enough to work with a dough that's as wet as it needs to be. Right. You know, because because really right. good dough has to be wetter than I'm. It, it needs to be a little bit wetter than that. Uh, wetter than probably what most people are used to. What you what you realize about a wet dough is that. What you need to realize is that a, a dough will transform over time. So if it starts out as real wet and sticky, through the course of turning it and folding it and maybe mixing it a little more and time for the, uh, allow time for the um, flour to, to properly hydrate, uh, the dough be, will become much more workable. So don't so, just do like I do and add flour until it's stiff enough. No, no, no. no. I would always, <laughs> exactly. I would always err on the side Impatience. Of, yes, impatience. I always, I always try to mix my doughs a little bit dry to start with mm-hmm. because it allows it to, to mix and actually activate the gluten. Okay. A lot. One of our big mixers that can mix hundreds of pounds of dough is an elliptical mixer. And it's a, it, it has a tendency to really, it's like a wishbone, mm-hmm. okay? Okay. And it really gently mixes the dough. So we kind of do that to a certain point, and then we finish it by turning it a few times in buckets. Yeah, can I ask one more question? Like. Yeah. How, how do people eat this? Do they eat it on it with sandwiches, or do they sandwiches? Eat, like, like I said, like jelly all, or butter? It's all about how it's... Um, it's presented the sandwich loaf. You could easily have all different kinds of sandwiches on so it. So that's why, But yeah. a hearth loaf, kind of like my 100% rye, you would probably have to be more inventive on how you would do it. You wouldn't want to have a traditional sandwich with that, but you could have. I just want to slather some good. Yeah, I just want to slather some butter. And we've been eating it today without yeah. butter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that with a little bit of butter and, and I don't know. I, I don't know honey. what else it needs. Yeah. It's it's yeah. delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Sea salt. But I'm yeah. I'm asking that a lot, especially with 100% rye. Do we have what people do it? And I just kind of I did think of that with Rubens. I thought of Rubens because when you said rye, yeah, it was good. Andy, the baker. 
Thank you so much for for coming in. I hope I've answered your questions. Oh, it was great. We could go on. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Check check out Andy's work at Bluegrass Bakery and at the the Bluegrass Bakery Market. Bluegrass Baking Company. Bluegrass Baking Company. I'm sorry. There's a Bluegrass Barkery out there. I don't want to confuse the barkery. I think that's where my brain went. I don't think they got einkorn dogs on Exactly. Oh, somebody probably does. At the Bluegrass Baking Baking Company. And at the, at the Apostle Chevy Chase. Church. Yeah. Apostles Anglican Church on mm-hmm. Colony Boulevard. Chessie on and Wednesdays. Chevy Chase. It's Chevy Chase's. On Wednesdays across yeah. from Christ the King. Get yeah. out there and yeah. get it yeah. before yeah. it's gone. Uh, back in a little bit. This is Food News and Shoes Radio.